0: This is the Best Run Podcast, brought to you by SAP. Hello, and welcome to the Best Run Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Mooney, for this special utilities edition, and I work with SAP as an industry advisor to energy and utilities companies. Today, I'm joined by Ivor Frischknecht, who is the former CEO of the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Ivor, welcome to the program.
1: Great to be here, Gavin.
0: Now, tell me, Ivo, you were at ARENA right from its inception. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's right. A $2.1 billion Commonwealth government program formed in 2012. I was the inaugural CEO, and its goal really was, and still is, to make renewable energy more competitive in Australia uh, via investment, via grants.
0: It certainly seems to fund some very interesting projects. Were there any highlights for you during your time there?
1: Yeah, one of, one of the really uh, amazing things that we managed to achieve is to drive the cost of large scale solar down quite dramatically. So uh, Australia had a decent wind industry, but because of the way that the renewable energy target worked, it su- supported the, the cheapest form of renewables. And solar, because it didn't have a beachhead in Australia, was was expensive. Now we're talking large scale solar. Uh, we managed to run a program that effectively jump-started it
0: and and and
1: got solar to where it is today. It's, it's far cheaper than wind today.
0: And I think you finished up there about three years ago. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and what you're doing now?
1: Sure, absolutely. So uh, before Arena, I worked in small companies and venture capital and in some ways all in the clean energy sector. And so I've continued that after Arena. So I advised a number of larger and and also small companies on their energy transition uh, ambitions. And I also serve on a number of boards, corporate boards.
0: Now the topic we've got for today is specifically rooftop solar. And we hear that Australia leads the world in the uptake of rooftop solar. Is that right and why is that?
1: yeah it's really quite amazing Gavin we've got about one in three Australian households has solar on its roof in Queensland and South Australia it's more like 40 percent. Uh, so it's an incredible number by global standards and and so how did we get here started uh, a little over 10 years ago with a combination of Commonwealth and state government subsidies to support rooftop solar now uh, that's uh, those have mostly wound down, uh, but the industry has developed into something that's very vibrant, incredibly competitive, more than 7,000 retailers and installers competing to put solar on your roof. And uh, it's there's relatively little regulation. All you need is an electrician uh, to sign off on an installation and, and you can have a solar system. So the, the costs really have come down dramatically. The reason people are getting up today is, is it's just it's a way to save money. And plus, everybody has it. So, uh, don't you want one too?
0: <laughs> I think I do, actually. And <laughs> you hear a lot about it on the, the residential rooftops, but also businesses are getting in on this space as well, aren't they?
1: Yeah, it took businesses a little longer. Um, it's a bit more complicated a story there because uh, many businesses don't own their own buildings. So, for starters, you have to have a negotiation with the landlord about how this is going to work. Um, Some of the roofs, like warehouse style roofs, can't actually support the the weight of a solar system without some sort of structural augmentation. And big businesses, at least, they had lower energy costs to begin with, so the savings weren't quite as big, weren't quite there so early. Uh, But they are really feeling the pressure from their customers, from their employees, from their investors, to do more about climate change and, and make the transition themselves too.
0: Yeah, the pain that Australian businesses face with the uh, what have been quite high energy costs on a, on a global sort of level. Is there a limit to how much we can install? One day, are we going to run out of roof space?
1: Well, of, of course, logically we are. We don't have unlimited roof space, but we're a very long way from there. Uh, So just to to give you some numbers, even though we are at about 30 percent of our households have have, um, solar on their roofs, until very recently, those systems didn't come close to actually taking up all of the available roof space. And and some of the early systems are now starting to get upgraded. So uh, a one kilowatt or two kilowatt system might be getting replaced by an eight or 10 or even 20 kilowatt system that is maxing out the roof space. Those new systems, by the way, are cheaper than the original ones were. Um, And and there have been studies to try to figure out just how much could we put on roofs. And that takes into account shading and roof orientation and that sort of thing. And the answer is we could roughly supply all of Australia's current electricity demand from our rooftops. Um, Now, we're at 7% for today, roughly. And so there's a long way to go. Having said that, by the time we get there, electricity demand will have grown because we'll have electrified transport through electric vehicles and electrified heating by replacing gas with electricity. So um, so there will still be a role for large scale wind and solar for sure.
0: Well, that's good to hear. And if I'm someone who lives in an apartment block where I don't necessarily own the roof, but I still want to save money and do my bit for you know, the energy transition, what are my options?
1: That, that's a really good question. Um, there's a practical problem too, because if you've got uh, a 20 story building, there just isn't very much roof per person, right? So you can't have very much solar, but there are actually technical solutions to just spreading that available solar out amongst the apartment dwellers, if you like, one company that I happen to know of, a, a Loom, a, a, an Australian startup, does exactly that. They're focused on providing the solar that's on the roof to the highest value tenant or, or user at that moment because there's not much point giving someone who's out at work, who's not using any energy at that moment, giving them the benefit of the solar. And that might change throughout the day. So that's an interesting technical solution. Other countries, they have what we call community solar. So that's actually setting up a call well, it a mini solar farm somewhere out in the country and just allocating it to a particular building in the city, for example. Or it can even be um, a, a larger community, right? Maybe there's a, a number of people uh, in a local school who all get together, all the parents, and say, "Hey, let's let's buy solar together." That works well in some locations. It it hasn't taken off here because our network costs are high, and so one of the the benefits of rooftop solar is it's all on your side of the meter. So you don't have to pay the network for any of the energy you generate and use. Whereas if it were out in a field in the country, you would have to somehow pay for that energy to get from the country to your house. And that, that might roughly double the cost of it because of the network charges, you know, the poles and wires.
0: Yeah, it's an important point, isn't it? It's, it's, it's very much in front of the meter into the community solar, isn't it? And it's not, I guess, too different to another large-scale solar farm, which is contributing to the national electricity market.
1: Well, it's, that's right. It's exactly the same, except the ownership's a bit different.
0: Okay. And if we look at the economics of rooftop solar, you've mentioned how the costs have you know, really plummeted over the last 10 years or so, but but also the amount that consumers are paid for exporting their solar into the grid has also shrunk quite substantially, I understand. So is it still worthwhile for consumers to install rooftop solar?
1: Yeah, more, more so than ever really, just because it is getting so cheap. So solar has dropped in cost by more than 80% over the last decade. And to make that practical in terms of a rooftop system, 10 years ago, you might have spent twenty dollars to $30,000 for quite a small system. Today, you might spend $5,000 for quite a big system. And the feed-in tariff, which is how much you get paid when you're exporting, and of course, the bigger your system is, the more you're going to be exporting. So that amount that you want to be paid for is actually increasing over time. Those have been going down too, primarily because... A decade ago, that was the way that these systems were being subsidized, was through the feed-in tariff. Now, we're effectively saying, or increasingly saying, that the energy you generate on your roof and export is really no different from the solar that's generated in a big solar farm or or, um, energy that comes from a wind farm. It is green, so in that sense, it's better than, than energy that comes from coal or gas. Um, but it is no more valuable. It's effectively valued the same way. So if wholesale market prices are $50 a megawatt hour, that's how much you should get paid. Now, it's not that practical to give you a different price every five minutes, which is how the wholesale market works. (laughs) That wouldn't work so well in uh, the small amounts of energy coming out of your household. So we tend to somehow come out with an average price. And today those are still a little higher than the wholesale market prices, but they're converging on the wholesale market. So to give you some some amounts, you might um, be getting seven to 12 cents a kilowatt hour. If you're exporting, the cost of your system to put it on your roof might be like eight to 15 cents a kilowatt hour. So you're not really making a lot of money. In fact, you're probably losing a bit of money if all you're doing is exporting. But if you're using the energy, Right, you're displacing power that you're paying twenty five cents a kilowatt hour for, um, maybe thirty cents a kilowatt hour. So you're saving that and paying for it with your rooftop system at eight to fifteen, and and it varies. That range is quite big because a system in uh, in a cloudy part of Tasmania, long way south, is very different from a system in a sunny part of Queensland or WA.
0: Right, and 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 so it's very much about being able to take advantage of the solar you generate and consume it in your own house as well. So the so-called self-consumption. And you mentioned that we're gonna see an increase in, in demand in general with the electrification of transport and heating. So I, I suppose in an ideal world, I would have rooftop solar on my roof and during the daytime, it's gonna be charging my electric vehicle and that sort of thing. Is that the way you see things going?
1: Yes. So to the extent that you can use your energy uh, that you generate, that is good for you economically. It's good for the grid as well, because that means we don't have to build a whole bunch of new poles and wires to take the energy someplace else to someone else who who can use it. Or if it does need to be taken someplace else, hopefully it just goes next door or, or maybe down the road a little ways. It doesn't go all the way across the country. Of course, your example there, the electric vehicle one, if you're a commuter by car, is not not a great one because by definition you aren't going to be, well, most people aren't home during the day for their uh for their job. And uh maybe, maybe we will be too, you know, in the new post-COVID world, more of us will be working from home, but maybe we won't have to use our car so much either. Um uh, But yes, if we can figure out how to use the energy, that is is really the key. And uh, one of the simplest ways to do that, of course, is just by having a battery. And so people are putting batteries in with their solar system at an increasing rate as well. It's still quite low. So again, to toss out some numbers, about 370,000 solar systems went on roofs last year, about 25,000 battery systems. So a little under 10% went in with batteries, but well, I think we're gonna see that go up dramatically as battery systems get cheaper.
0: Is that stationary storage really being held back by the economics then? Because I think I've seen one comparison that said, you could get a far larger battery by buying an electric vehicle, you get a better sort of dollar per kilowatt hour rate, and you get a car thrown in as well. <laughs>
1: Well, that's that's certainly true um, that batteries are cheaper within a car, which seems a little little um, counterintuitive. You can't get a, a there aren't many cars that you can buy today that allow you to do. It's called vehicle to grid or or bidirectional charging. Tesla, which is the most common car, uh, EV out there uh, by quite some margin, doesn't um, allow you to do that. It voids the warranty um the electronics aren't set up for it there's there's a good reason why uh, most electric vehicle manufacturers don't allow you to do that today and that is because the life of a battery is determined by how often it's cycled so how many times do you charge it and discharge it and obviously if you're doing that um to to run your household in addition to your car there's going to be a whole lot more cycle times which are which creates warranty and, and maintenance issues um but we may get there If batteries get cheap enough, there's no reason why you can't just have a separate battery, you know, basically a home storage battery. The reason they're expensive today and more expensive than those in a car is just it's not as mature an industry. I think fast forward two, three years, they're going to come down a lot in cost. They're heavy beasts, these batteries. And so getting them installed often takes uh, two people. Uh, so that that's an issue. It takes some specialist expertise. You know, every solar installer, any electrician, couldn't install a battery. It's a bit trickier than that. Again, fast forward a couple of years, and I think we'll see that become a lot more routine and therefore easier to get done, cheaper to get done.
0: Yeah, I'll be interesting how that plays out. And you, you mentioned with the with the EV vehicle to grid you know, Tesla doesn't allow you to do it. It voids the warranty and increases the cycling of the battery, which all makes sense. Is that something you think we will get to at some point in the future? I mean, I think the Nissan LEAF is now enabled for vehicle to grid. And I think Hyundai have released the new Ionic, which apparently just has a PowerPoint on the side of it. So you can plug in whatever appliance you like and, and run that off the, the car battery. Do you think that's the way we're going to go?
1: I think I think there's a good chance we'll end up that going that way but the value for the grid is actually greater just by being able to control the charging because uh, uh, electric vehicle charging is so um, significant a load um, particularly when you have a fast charger that being able to control that quite closely to when you have excess demand or when you've got high voltage in the grid right you can actually increased demand and that depresses the voltage so that's good in some circumstances and the flip side when you've got a a super hot day and we're at uh, the grid is running to capacity and we're using every available electron to to run air conditioners you can turn off all of the ev charging at that moment and do it quickly then that uh, that's actually really valuable so having the controls in place and the visibility of who's doing what and where And and all of the social license issues like how are you going to give me permission to not charge your vehicle and thereby potentially ruin your plans to to drive across the country the next day? You know how is that going to be negotiated with the uh, with the market or with your local network? So all of those issues entirely doable today technologically, but actually implementing it is across millions of people is not going to be straightforward.
0: Yeah, that orchestration would would be quite tricky to to plan and arrange and and coordinate but it is something that seems to make sense on paper you know we say that the average car is parked something like 90% of its life so if that's an ev that's plugged in then you you can charge it when it when it suits the grid and and if we come and look at the grid a little bit now what is the rooftop solar doing to uh, the grid the duck curve originated in California, but it sounds like we may have our own one now. Is that right?
1: Yeah, for sure. So just to explain what the duck curve is. Uh, so it's uh, if you imagine a graph, and this is a little hard to do in a podcast without the visuals, but you imagine a graph with, with demand on the vertical axis and, and time of day, the 24-hour day on the horizontal axis, electricity use tended to sort of go up in the morning when people woke up and stayed relatively flat throughout the day, maybe rose a little bit towards the end of the day as um, they warmed up and people wanted to air condition a little more and then sort of dropped down uh, when they went to bed. Now, what's happened is that rooftop solar is on your side of the meter, the customer side of the meter. So the way it shows up in the grid is as reduced demand or when you're exporting, it's negative demand which is a little weird to think about negative demand. But so the, the graph of that demand over the course of the day, it gets reduced in the middle of the day. So you, you're keeping the peak in the morning, and then you're keeping an even bigger peak at the end of the day. And then when you look at this graph, especially over time, like you look at the one from 2010 and then the one from 2015, the one from 2020, and then the fourth for 2025, you see sort of that middle is completely hollowed out, and you've got the shape of a duck. Um, so that's the duck curve. Now, who, who cares? Like, what is the problem here? Uh, the problem with the duck curve is that the system was never really designed to have energy flowing from households and businesses back out to the grid. It was designed for one-way, big centralized power stations shipping electrons um, in one direction, and so the voltage transformations that happen along the way for example can't easily handle the reverse flows Um, they can't easily handle a situation where there's very low demand because the the bottom the belly of the duck if you like is actually much lower than the middle of the night demand that we used to have so south australia in particular is now getting to situations on on particular days particularly holidays weekends where rooftop solar is supplying all or could supply all or most of the demand for that day uh, for that period of time when the sun is out the system can't deal with that the voltage in the network goes too high so that's one problem another problem is that we've got we run at 50 hertz so you've got this 50 hertz frequency that is driven by big rotating generators solar doesn't provide that signal it doesn't provide the 50 hertz signal so we could end up with a very unstable system that blacks out now this is fixable we have the technology to do it it's going to take a bunch of investment uh it's going to take new market mechanisms to incentivize the investment and it's going to take some controls from networks from the market operator at least in the short term to avoid these situations where we could, we could have a blackout as a result of essentially no centralized generation, no centralized frequency setting.
0: And this is something uh, that's been the news quite recently, isn't it? So we've been having the curtailment of rooftop solar in South Australia where I understand the local network provider can actually turn off people's rooftop solar if it's pushing that demand in the middle of the day too low. Now, I think if I was an owner of a rooftop solar system, I'd feel pretty hard done by at that point. But do you think this is a sign of things to come? Yeah,
1: well, it's a good question. Um, How often is this going to happen? And I think it's not going to happen very often in the near term, but it's going to happen more and more often. An even bigger problem is if you want to put rooftop solar on and you go to your local network, uh, what's happening? more and more is that the local network is saying great you can have solar but you're not allowed to export so given that people want to put on bigger and bigger systems so more and more of that energy is getting exported it is uh, a really big disincentive to put on solar and and certainly makes it a whole lot less valuable to you as the owner so yes there's there's going to be especially in the short term a bunch of grumpy homeowners and consumers that are having their system either as you say turned off without any notice really by the central operator by their local network um, or they're being told up front sorry you can't export or maybe you can export it two kilowatts instead of five or eight which is the system that you're putting on which reduces the value to you there's a bunch of investment that's happening to try to mitigate that but that takes time it costs money not clear that it's all worthwhile
0: investment to make. And is this likely to be a stopgap until we have a better solution? Because it seems to me that we really just need to shift load or, or create additional load in the middle of the day to soak up all that solar, whether it's charging batteries, whether it's charging EVs, whether it's producing hydrogen or something like that. Is So is that the longer term solution, do you think, or does it require a complete rethink?
1: Well, it's both, actually. So under the current system, we need to have load uh, because otherwise it just it doesn't, doesn't work. So you, the way the system is currently designed, you can't even for a few seconds have every single household simply generate enough for themselves yeah. and be perfectly happy that way because the central coordination will be gone and it'll all collapse. Um, so in the short term, much as I hate to say this, uh, we We need you to consume energy from the central system <laughs> um, and And so there is a technical fix for that but but it's not a straightforward technical fix. having more uh, having more load shifting capability like batteries like electric vehicles that Uh, is going to help a lot in that whole process.
0: We we talked about how rooftop solar is spreading. We can expect more and more to be deployed, whether it's on the rooftops that haven't been covered yet or whether it's upgrading existing systems. So it sounds like South Australia is really the canary in the coal mine for what we can expect to happen in the other states in time if we don't have that additional load come on in the middle of the day.
1: Yeah, that's right. And they have a new inverter standard, Uh, the inverter being the thing that, that turns the DC power from the roof into AC power that, that you can use. Um, that inverter standard allows the network to control the inverter and essentially turn it off. Now, that means you are not exporting. It also means you're not generating, uh, which is interesting. So they're essentially saying to you, you need to consume from us and pay for it, <laughs> um, which, which is an interesting kind of social contract. Uh, that is being imposed on us um, as as energy users. So I think we actually need to do an enormous amount of work in negotiating the social aspects of this, making sure that people understand what they're getting into and and accept the sort of conditions that the network and the market is imposing on them.
0: Yeah, I think it's understandable if they don't want to allow you to export but you can still at least consume at home what you're generating. But if they're also saying you can't (laughs) consume what you're generating, you've got to buy it down the road effectively. uh, Yeah, I think that's that's quite a tricky one.
1: Yeah, it's almost like saying you can't put in energy efficient light bulbs.
0: That's right. You've got to draw more. (laughs) Right.
1: So I think that conversation really isn't happening yet, but it needs to happen. And it needs to happen in tandem with the system redesign so we can, Point to the future and say well here is where it's headed here, here are some of the solutions and we're going to need everyone to give a little bit and we're going to end up in a in a better place where you end up with more solar lower emissions more control over your own usage and your own systems and and to the extent that the central system has anything to say about it you'll be fully aware and you'll have opted into that and maybe you'll get paid for it too like there's if the central system takes over yours for a moment, it it should only do so when there's more value to be gained for the central system, and therefore you should be paid for it. Again, that we haven't sort of figured out how that would work in practice, but it's entirely doable in theory.
0: Agreed, and hopefully that will come sooner rather than later. Just some final thoughts before we wrap up. What do you think about the idea of the solar panel's being part of the roof itself, such as the, the Tesla solar roof, which was launched to much fanfare a few years ago. and I don't know about in the States, but certainly here, I don't feel it's really taken off.
1: No, and you make a good point, which is that uh, there are many surfaces, roofs being the most obvious one, that that could and perhaps should have solar cells embedded in them because it look nicer, there's less construction hassle, It's not happening for one simple reason, which is that we have just this incredible economy of scale and massive amount of volume in solar panel manufacturing. These these solar modules, they're standard size, standard specifications, and uh, they're just churned out by the millions by Chinese factories who are investing an enormous amount into making them even more efficient Uh, even more cheap per watt. And so I I think we'll get there. We'll get to a point uh, where having solar cells in your roof it's going to, because it's starting out at low volume, right? It's going to cost maybe 5 or 10 times more per watt than putting a panel on, but they'll both be so cheap that that 10X difference in cost will be bearable. Um, So so why not do it? And then there'll be some higher value uses where people will just want to have it, like uh, maybe embedded into the roof of their EV. You know, it it won't actually add very materially to the range, but it's just kind of a nice to have. And if you leave your car parked for a week, uh, you're going to end up with a bit more juice in the battery than when you when you parked it, as opposed to the opposite, right? Showing up and having a flat battery. So and walls of buildings are another one where The value isn't that great because they're facing sideways instead of upwards towards the sun and there's shading from adjacent buildings and all sorts of issues around that. But again, it it just seems like a cheap no-brainer to put solar cells in those wall panels. And at some point it's going to be cheap enough. I don't know if that's five years away or 20 years away, but the combination of standard silicon cells just getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and um, and some new technologies that are in the lab still, but, but they have the potential to be like another order of magnitude or two cheaper than silicon, like just printable cells, sort of like you print newspaper ink, you just print them out. That is also on the on the horizon.
0: So it sounds like in time we can expect just about every surface to actually have a generating capacity. I think I read about a solar greenhouse uh, just earlier this week so that sounds like it's already starting to happen
1: yeah yeah that's right and they can be semi-transparent so um, which is kind of exciting like a greenhouse or you can imagine windows so tinted windows effectively the tinting is is providing some generation capacity the the one that really scares me is packaging imagine if all this the stuff in the supermarket not only had um, you know, loud and, and, and offensive colours that tried to attract you, but but also sound and lights and potentially movement that was self-powered.
0: <laughs> All right. Very interesting <laughs> stuff. Well, thank you, Ivor, for joining me today. That's been a really interesting discussion. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this special edition of The Best Run Podcast.
1: It's been a pleasure, Gavin.
0: You've been listening to The Best Run Podcast brought to you by SAP.